Hello, and welcome back to the Product Launch Podcast. As always, my name is Sean Boyce from Next Step Product Strategy. My guest that I have with me here today is Ben Johnson from Freya Systems. Hello, Ben. How are you? And thank you for being on the show. Hi, Sean. I'm great. And uh, thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. So before we kind of jump into the main content of the show, can you, for our listeners, give us a little bit of background information about yourself and also help us better understand what Freya Systems is? Yeah, sure thing. So um, as you said, my name is Ben. I, I come from England originally. You can probably tell from my uh, slightly odd accent. Um, originally, I qualified as an aerospace engineer, kind of fell into the software space. And I emigrated to, to America 15 years ago now. Uh, just just became a citizen this year, which is which is awesome. And um, thank you. <laughs> and after after setting up, after being in the the kind of big corporate space for a while, I decided it, it wasn't really for me. We could I could do some things more efficiently. So I I founded Freya with my business partner, and we've been going for ten years now. We we really focus on software and data analytics uh, products in in the uh, kind of enterprise, the big corporate enterprise space. So we make applications to fit in other people's enterprises. So it's it's very targeted at their users. All about taking data from from aircraft, for example, and helping them uh, visualize that, make decisions based off of it, and predict what what failures are going to happen on the aircraft. So I think what you're actually saying here is that you have a really cool job. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a really cool job. Yeah, it's, it's true. I do too. I'm sure a lot of people would agree with you. And sticking with that topic of being really cool, I noticed your LinkedIn tagline, which is uh, you linked to your profile. I'll, I'll include in the show notes at the end as well, too. But it says, I want to share this with everyone. It says, helping aviation, transportation, and manufacturing predict the future, which is, I love it, short, sweet, super effective. Talk to us a little bit more about what that means. So, so what that means for us is, is we can use uh, customers' data. So we, we, we take real-time data that's being gathered on, on the aircraft, for example. Uh, I, I don't do this personally. I wish I could. It's, 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 I've got an awesome team of uh, data scientists who let dig into that. Uh, usually they're presented with a really kind of complex question that they need to answer. So oh, we've, we've got a particular component that's failing on the aircraft. How can, we, how can we figure out how to make that more effective? Or in particular, how can we predict when that's going to fail? So that way they can either have a part on hand if they need it, uh, or even better, they can um, do some maintenance that will prevent it failing in the first place. So it's all about allowing them to really extend the life of the aircraft, or at least its availability for, for use. And uh, so we go from creating algorithms to help process the data and, and present that, the answer to that, all the way through to creating an, an internal web application that will allow them to present that information that comes from the algorithm in a way that they can make that decision in a rep repetitive sort of way across the whole fleet. So they can really identify a specific aircraft that, that might fail so they can uh, maybe use another one for, for a particular mission that they want to conduct or as I say, identify where they need to put parts and what maintenance they need to do. Very cool. I know data and analytics, especially the predictive nature of that is growing very aggressively. 
think a lot of what I've heard, some of the more cooler things I've heard about the topic is that we already don't have enough processing power to process basically the data that we already have. Just giving you an idea of the size and scale of how much it is growing and how important it's going to be in order to be able to make heads and tails of it going forward. So it sounds like you guys are pretty well positioned to be able to help companies specifically with all the problems that come with using this data to predict really solving problems for them. Yeah, that's true. And that's, and that's very insightful. The, the volumes of data that we have are, are certainly growing. Uh, our experience is also that, that we can do some, some pretty impressive things with, with fairly minimal data sets as well. A lot of our, our team are doing kind of some fairly heavyweight statistics uh, based off of the data that comes off. In some cases, uh, they're really digging into the science associated with um, vibration levels. So there's harmonics involved, uh, really kind of complex uh, interactions between the various components. But we've also found that even we can even solve some fairly simplistic problems with um, just a few spreadsheets worth of data. Now, we're, we're always looking for those huger volumes, you know what I mean? And, and right now we're getting gigabytes worth of data per aircraft per flight. And you're right, it, it, it's growing in ever increasing levels and they're putting more and more sensors on. And uh, yeah, it's nice to be at the leading edge of that and really starting to understand what's the art of the possible, which is what I always like to say, and, and, and actually solving some very specific business needs, which I think is it's critical in, in anything. We don't, we don't just go fishing. We actually kind of identify what, what we're going to resolve. Agreed. That's a really good point. I think it's sexy to talk about, you know, what problems you solved with however much massive amount of data that you have. And I think there's a lot of focus on what are we going to do with this tremendous amount of data? But I think what may often get lost is that it's really about solving those critical needs, which you talked about in the end. And that's where I want to kind of go next. So I want to talk to you more about the problems that you guys in particular help your customers with solving. But I think important to note from what you've said so far is that you may not need a tremendous amount of data to really make a big impact. So what can you do with, what can you do relatively quickly? I think that's an important component to it as well too. But let's have you talk a little bit more about what these types of problems are, what categories they fall into. You've mentioned a couple of things already, specifically with what I guess for you would be uh, like enterprise, aviation, and potentially optionally defense as well. Okay. Uh, yes, certainly. I can, I can dig into that some. And as you say, there's, uh, there's a whole range of things that we can solve. Uh, usually we'll, uh, with a smaller data set, it, it, it's quite usually a, a case of, well, what other data do we want to gather to answer the bigger question? Do you know what I mean? So that allows you to say, oh, uh, if we had sensors here and here, then I could tell you this, or I could predict maybe rather than it being two days into the future, I can predict a month or two months into the future. And in the case of aviation, it's all about flying hours. It's, it's how much they use the particular aircraft. So allowing them to, to kind of understand what is the art of the possible. There's, there's so much data that's coming off of, of the aircraft. The, the first question is usually, well, what can, what can I solve with that? Um, and then we, we, we help guide them to, to a, kind of what their, their specific questions are. So usually they're looking for something that there's a, a particular component 
maybe that's not as reliable as they want it to be, so it, it's failing more frequently, or it's experiencing a particular type of wear, which means that they're gonna need to replace it more, more frequently. So how can they either eliminate that or be much more proactive in predicting when it's gonna happen so that they can understand uh, how to disposition, as I think I said earlier in the, the podcast, like disposition their, their assets. So we'll, we'll help them zone in very specifically on a, a specific business problem that they wanna solve as a, as a first step. Quite often that's then expanded out once we, we understand what the art of the possible is. We'll, we'll, we quite often use uh, Python and Jupyter Notebooks to present our reports. That's a, that's a good way of either saying, oh, well, we're done. We're, we've, we've identified the one-off question, uh, which is also, I, I think, key as well. Too often, it's, there's, a, there's an idea that uh, you have to create a, a, an enormous product to, to answer a specific question. But in our experience, quite often we found, oh, as soon as I've got to an answer for one particular case, I'm, I'm good. We can, we can stop and then we can focus our efforts and the efforts of the customer on something that's, that's other that's value added kind of down the stream, so to speak. And um, it, so in some cases though, they, they will then want to kind of grow that down the line. So they'll uh, take the output of that, turn it into an algorithm, embed that algorithm in their enterprise level application, and then put it in a, a kind of customized dashboard to really help their engineers see when those failures are gonna happen, see when those things are gonna occur, and kind of guide their, their thinking, and even guide the next level of, of kind of digging into their data set. So it's a, it's a repetitive sort of thing, and, and the, the way I like to think of it is we augment their engineers, we don't replace them. I think quite often there's a lot of automation thinking at the moment, which is about replacing people. I, I like to think of it as we take away the mundane tasks so they can focus on the stuff that they're really good at. Do you know what I mean? The, the really kind of deep level engineering, <clears throat> which is what they want to focus on. I like that last part that you mentioned with regard to automation as well, too. I think there's, I don't know if fear is the right word, but a certain amount of like skepticism with regard to what the true intentions of taking advantage of what automation has to offer are from the perspective of just kind of replacing people, replacing uh, individuals in the workforce. Um, the way I've been thinking about, and of course I have an engineering background as well too, so maybe slightly biased is really helping us automate the, any test that can be automated at that point because there's always more problems, right? There's always bigger things that need solving and the things that at least so far until we have like come upon some true, right, AI, not just the sexy marketing aspect of what everyone thinks is AI today. <laughs> um, the creativity, like the creative problem solving, um, which right now, you know, is, is it falls squarely for the most part in the category of needing people to really kind of solve those problems and build those processes like what you guys do. Another thing that you mentioned as well was, and I want uh, the listeners to, to particularly focus on this as well also is even though Ben and Freya systems and the work that you guys do is very complicated, it's very specialized, and it is a very large market, right? Talking about giant industry in that uh, aviation, you had mentioned going about connecting a relatively like elegant, but as simple as possible solution to solving the problems. 
that's really important because that's a pattern that persists throughout the work that we do and the people that we help as well too, is we're never looking to kind of overcomplicate our solutions. We want them to be as simple and as elegant as possible. And I believe it's kind of a misconception that that's the right approach to take and that has to be fully featured, has to be, you know, a big, heavy product with a lot of moving parts. So, um, but that more often than not makes, makes things more challenging for those involved. So I wanted everybody just to note that Ben had shared that even for his industry, which is, you know, like we said, large, uh, complicated, very detailed and specific, that that's still uh, kind of a strategy that you guys use. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's a fantastic piece of insight as well. I, I'm glad that, that you kind of recognized it from your experience too, that uh, there's way too often we've, and I've come across this in the past, we've, we've, called, we've come across what I would call a Frankenstein application. So, so it's, oh, oh, I need to do this as well. So rather than writing a specific new application just for that, a, a product that's, that's designed to answer that business need, Quite often, it gets bolted onto something else, and it grows and grows, and then it's it's brittle and it breaks easily, and it's not easy to maintain. So, yeah, helping helping people stay laser focused on what is what is what is the key business problem that needs to get solved for anything, and then being, as you say, very elegant about that solution, and then moving on to the next thing is great. And uh, just to add to what you said as well, yeah, it sounds very complex. Some of what we do and and I'll be honest, some of the mathematics is, is, is very challenging, but the, the core concept of solving business problems, even for, for large corporations, which is what I do, um, I think that's very engaging for, for lots of people in the product space because it, it allows you to, to really dig in deep to one specific customer because I, I don't have to do a whole bunch of market research to, to find my customers. I've got a pool and I can, I can query them directly. They're, they're invested, they're engaged in working tightly with us, which, which is exciting as well. Like there aren't many people I think who get to work hand in hand with their customer on a daily basis and, and kind of go backwards and forwards and, and riff on an idea and really dig in deep as to where we can, we can add some great value. And I think that allows us to, to then really specifically solve that, that, that business problem, but it's, I think one of the things they love about us and it, it would be, be true for others is they don't, we can, we as a small uh, team that they engage with can stay like focused on their, their need. And, and quite often, I mean, everyone's got a split focus these days. So to be able to, to have one specific team just addressing their product need uh, is definitely something that, that's engaging for some people at times. The phrase that I've heard thrown around a bit that I have also reshared is niche to get rich. So I, this is right, it's marketing terminology, of course, but the message that they're trying to convey is, and this is what I want the listeners to focus on as well also, is that every a lot of what you have just articulated really is is a great example in that you don't have to build something for everyone in order to be really successful, in order to have a lot of really big, impactful problems that need solving. So, you know, you've chosen a particular industry based on your expertise and passion and so on and so forth. And I'm sure there is never uh, a, a limit to the amount of problems that need solving, right? And then you can build a great rapport with your customer, right? Back and forth, and they will continue to 
build the trust in the relationship as that continues to evolve and bring more and more to you. And they're looking to you as the expert for the best strategic way to solve those problems. But that's one thing I kind of wanted to point out is another approach to kind of building products and building product businesses. Uh, the more specific that you get, it almost seems to have the opposite effect of what most people think it would do. Like a lot of people think if they get much more specific, their world's going to get a lot smaller. But in reality, what ends up happening is it has a tendency to grow is in people just seem to kind of come out of nowhere because they now know that you do specifically what they need, right? It's not, you're not going to, you know, when you need, um, when you need something fixed from, uh, surgery perspective, I have a problem with my knee, right? I don't go to a generalist. I go to a doctor that works specifically on knees. And then, you know, everyone has knees. <laughs> so eventually someone's going to have a problem there and they're going to go to that specialist, that expert to help solve them. Yeah, for sure. And I think just to, to, to build on what you're saying now, I, I think one of, one of the things that allows us to do is, is understand the customer's language as well. And that's, that's something having worked in, in several different domains, I've worked in, in train industry for a bit, I've, I've certainly worked in, in defense aerospace for a, for a long time. And even because we, we plug into to different aspects of the military, uh, the Air Force have different terminology from the Army, have different terminology for the Navy. So it's great to be able to dig in and spend and have that niche, as you say, with, with a particular subset because the, the whole product cycle goes a lot quicker because you're able to communicate. You already understand what they're looking for. You understand what uh, language and terminology they use. So um, that allows you to, to kind of get in there a lot quicker and, and really dig into the heart of the problem. Good point. You can move a lot more quickly, right? They recognize you being familiar with the terminology that they use. And I'm sure your customer feels like you just get them, right? And they don't need to walk you through the most basic concepts, which to them are just commonplace, uh, which they likely would if they're working with someone who did what you did, but not specifically for their industry, right? So it helps them tremendously as well too. Well put. So another question I was gonna have for you, which I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about is, since the focus on the work that we do, helping people build product businesses is usually begins with, right? What problem are you solving, right? And if you haven't identified that yet, let's go about trying to solve it. You've mentioned several times, right? Identifying those critical needs and the problems that need solving. How do you guys go about doing that with your customer and, and who's typically involved? Okay, so so usually there's, there's a combination of people involved. Uh, we certainly always like to have uh, two or three what I call subject matter experts. So they tend to be engineers who are familiar with with specific parts of the aircraft, they may be familiar with the operation of it, what's what's how it's being used in context, and what they're trying to get out of the, the data that they're trying to visualize, and and what's 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 the piece of insight that we can give them, what's the, the core root question that we can answer. So we'll engage with the with them. We we quite often engage with the in some cases that a further customer rep themselves. So somebody who represents our customer's customer, so to speak. So, so we can really get a, 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 a good mix in. And once uh, whiteboarding is, is clearly an, an easy way of doing it, I, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of getting into a room and uh, 
and rolling up your sleeves and getting around a whiteboard and, and kind of really starting to dig into, into the, the problem. I, I, I roll out a whole bunch of different techniques at that point. Um, we, we certainly aim to develop user stories because we go through an agile methodology. Even, even if we're just trying to do a small data analysis where maybe the end output is only a report, we'll still do, go through a little agile methodology so we can be iterative with it because we want to dig in and get to the, the best answer. And it, it may be much shorter sprint cycles, but we'll, we'll still use that as, a, as an approach. Quite often, my favorite whiteboarding technique is uh, something called yes and to start with. So uh, nobody's allowed to say no, you've just got to focus on kind of building on, on what they're looking for. So what's the art of the possible? Um, that really helps kind of free people's minds a little bit to, to um, open the, up the, the dialogue and the, the problem solving. And then we can, we can loop back around that and really start to hone in, okay, how are we gonna do this specifically? What are, what are the key aspects that you, you wanna dig in on? And what are the things that you can do without so we can at least arrive at uh, a proof of concept, which is kind of pre-MVP just to, to allow them to say, okay, yeah, this, this will work for me. In some cases, if that's a visual, we quite often use um, a wireframing tool to, to kind of mop some things up, get some feedback there. That's always a, a good cycle to, if you present something to them, whether that's some initial results from an, an analysis or and kind of a, the initial story behind it as well, because that's storytelling is key to the, the data analytics side of things, or a, a couple of wireframes then people uh, can really start to visualize it and, and come up with the, the appropriate questions to say, well, that's not quite how it works. I think it should be a bit more like this. And then that's where you get into the, what I believe is the richest dialogue, the, the back and forth, uh, where you can really start to refine it. Excellent. And what I would take away from that is something, a couple of things that you mentioned, right? Identifying the the personas who are involved in better understanding the problem and understanding the context around it, then getting them in a room together so that they could all kind of discuss it, offer their perspective, the whiteboard I love. I almost can't sit still in a room that has a whiteboard in it if I'm speaking. <laughs> I have to be up there. I have to be drawing something. I very much, I've almost figured out that I'm a better communicator using the visual element right? I, it's just the visual component is so powerful when it comes to communicating something, right? I may try and try and try to describe something verbally to someone that could probably be a very simple diagram and really help them connect the dots a lot faster than I ever could trying to describe it to them verbally. So I love the whiteboard component. And also what I want people to focus on is something you said in testing, right? You don't immediately, even when you understand the problem much better, you don't immediately go into uh, an advanced, significant investment in time and money into creating that around some form of technology, right? You talked about testing, testing it with wireframes, some mock-ups, and then getting that back in front of the customer. That's huge too. I talk about a lot when we're talking about the idea stage where we have a better understanding of the problem, but now we need to verify that the solution that we're intending to bring to market adequately solves that problem doing some like usability testing as well too. I'm studying usability testing now. So I'm really uh, diving into that both theory and practice and I'm, I'm hooked. Like I'm immediately hooked. 
started um, uh, the book that I'm end up diving into now is called uh, Don't Make Me Think, which relatively popular in the usability space, but it really does a good job of communicating how you want to go about testing something once you're thinking about building something around solving a problem. So well put, well put. Yeah, so um, thank you so much for being here, sharing your insight, uh, very valuable for myself and the listeners. A couple other questions I have for you, Ben, are number one, are there any resources that you would recommend for myself or our audience from the perspective of books, blogs, other podcasts, any kind of resources that could help in and around this space of engineering, solving problems, product businesses that you'd be interested in sharing with our audience? So there's, um, there's nothing specific in, in that I, as in particular podcast names that I would uh, that spring to mind. Certainly I, I use a lot of YouTube and, and um, podcasts to, to gain some general knowledge in this. I know uh, my team in particular are very big proponents of uh, data camp. That's, that's where they can uh, dig into some specific skills around the, the data science and the data analytics side of things, which is, which is key. So I would, I would certainly recommend that. Um, I mentioned wireframing earlier on as well, and we've had some great success with Adobe XD. I know uh, the Adobe toolkit isn't, isn't to everyone's liking, but I found that that's a, a very powerful way of, of rapidly developing those, those wireframes with a bit of interaction that can really get you some good feedback from the customer. So I'd recommend those. Um, and Pluralsight is, is what my software developers tend to, to default to if they want to learn something new and, and learn a new technique. So um, yeah, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure how helpful that is, but uh, Very. those are the few ones I would go for. And a number of those are unique too from the shows and then me asking this question. That's why, that's why I always love to ask it because you never know what you're going to hear. Pluralsight's a great resource. I've used that plenty. Uh, the Adobe suite of products have recently converted me to a paying customer for Creative Cloud. And as, as indifferent as I was at the time, I have grown to really love the fact that I have access to a number of their products. And I haven't played around with that one yet for the wireframing perspective. So I'm really looking forward to kind of diving in there. I'm glad you mentioned that one too. And another one that doesn't come up often enough, I don't know if anyone's mentioned it yet, is YouTube. It is the second most popular search engine on the web. And there is just so much in the way of resources out there and available uh, when it comes to video. I think it's something people should probably even be taking advantage of more, even though it is the number two search engine, but it is that for a reason. So I'm glad that you've shared those. Those are all helpful. And I'll include links for them in the show notes. And then last question for me is who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? I think anyone who's interested in this space is, is welcome to reach out to me. Uh, we're certainly always uh, looking to, to kind of connect with people who are excited about the, the defense space and the data analytics space. So anyone on that side of things, uh, you can find us at our, our website. I'm sure you can put the details on, on the podcast uh, or direct message me on LinkedIn. That's my, my kind of favorite social media uh, of choice. So uh, feel free to connect with me there and uh, continue the conversation. Excellent. Thank you for sharing. I will include that in the notes. And thank you for being here, Ben, and sharing your insight. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for having me, Sean. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Product Launch Podcast powered by Next Step. 
If you're looking for help with your product business in the area of product strategy or product management, please feel free to reach out to Next Step to learn more about how we can help at hello at nextstep.io. That's hello at nxtstep.io. Additionally, if you know anyone who has experience building, running, or managing a product or product business and would like to be a guest on our show to share their story, please have them reach out to our organizer at podcast at nextstep.io. That's podcast at nxtstep.io. Thanks and keep disrupting. Hey folks, Sean here, and thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you did, I'd encourage you to also sign up for my free five-day email course about launching a profitable B2B SaaS application for less than $750. If you'd like to sign up for that course, you can do so at nextstep.io forward slash B2B SaaS.